Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you're part of the FCBC family globally, we live. We love and we serve. Amen. Listen, family, we are still in our series based on our battle cry for the year. I am resilient. And we have been thus far sharing in some what I hope have been timely messages and appropriate and relevant messages. Uh, We began with resilient in the face of self-confrontation, resilient in the face of absurdity and resilient in the face of materialism. We have sought to take a different approach to the things that we need to be resilient about. And today I want to take another turn on a scripture that is challenging for some. So if you're able, and hopefully you're still standing with me, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, I want to lift up verses 43 through 48. I'm going to read this from the New Revised Standard Version and then the Message Bible. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And it reads like this in the NRSV. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the Message Bible, it reads like this. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For when you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? 
Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Come on, family, let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you on this day. We are grateful, O oh God, for how you continue to reveal yourselves in our lives, in our world. We're grateful, O oh God, that your revelation is real because you are mindful of us. Your love is ever-present. Your grace is ever-present. Your mercy is ever-present. And for that, we say thank you. Now, O oh God, in this new season for so many, a new day dawning for so many, continue to remind us of ever-present realities that you are with us. We thank you, God. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to read that again, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. I'll read it from the Message Bible one more time, but I will refer to both Message and NRSV during the course of the sermon. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. This morning, beloved, I, I want to speak from this idea. Resilient in the face of life. Resilient in the face of life. These words that I read today are attributed to the carpenter. The scriptural context 
of these words found in Matthew 5, 43 through 48 is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. I preached from the Sermon on the Mount last Sunday and taught this past Tuesday. The Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels cover and span Matthew 5, 5th chapter through the 7th chapter. It is considered some of the most profound and paramount teachings of the carpenter. It is not just teachings to make you a better person. These are not principles for getting right with God. What the carpenter does in these words found in Matthew 5 through 7 are his way of explaining what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. I love in the Eugene Peterson's version of Matthew 5, 43 through 48, at the end of that, he says, you are kingdom subjects, that we are part of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is not some otherworldly experience that we're waiting to be made manifest. It is not some destination we're hoping to arrive in post-death. The carpenter makes it clear that the kingdom of God that he's speaking about is within. It is about your disposition. It is about your attitude. It is about the way you show up in the world. These words in chapter 5, 6, and 7, I want to be clear, are not easy. The words of the carpenter are actually countercultural. They are hard words, challenging words that seek to bring out the best in us and not the worst in us. When you hear these words that I read this morning, these may be some of the most challenging words that the master, the carpenter, teaches. He begins with this notion, love your enemies. The writers have said that, the the carpenter reminds us, you've heard it said, it has been written, love those basically who love you and hate your enemies. But now the carpenter in this counter-cultural moment, in this counter-intuitive moment, in this kingdom-breaking moment says, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, you do this because at the end of the day, the sun and the rain, both sun shines, rain falls on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous, the nice and the nasty that what God does and what God provides is for everyone. Even the people we've labeled as enemy, even the people we have a hard time dealing with, the carpenter says that the sun and the rain falls on 
all of us, covers all of us, that all of us in the midst of our sometimes negative behaviors still see sunrises, still nourished by the rain. And then he follows that up with what what credit do you get for only loving those who are lovable? Tax collectors do that. What credit do you get for greeting only those who greet you? He said, in Eugene Peterson's language, run-of-the-mill sinners do that. He said, but by loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, loving those who are even unlovable. He said, then, and I want you to get this in the NRSV and other versions, then you come close to perfection. Then, he said, you can be perfect in the kingdom as your God is perfect in the kingdom. Can you imagine so many people have taken this scripture and used it to justify why as believers we ought to be perfect? And then we sought to define what perfection is. Make no mistakes. Dot every I, cross every T, don't fall short, don't sin, and that is absolutely unrealistic. We are flawed human beings who have a tendency at times to disregard the humanity of other people, to hurt other people, and to do things we're not always proud of. Perfection is not about being error-free, but the carpenter who utters these words makes it clear what being perfect like God looks like, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you, loving the unlovable, greeting those who are not even thinking about you. That is what it means, as he writes, to be like God. That is what it means to be children of God, to attain some level of perfection according to kingdom standards, not man-made constructed standards. Loving, praying, loving and praying, loving and greeting. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. This is why when you see Jesus' life, Jesus does things that seemingly are unthinkable in his time. Sitting down with tax collectors who were despised, hated. I had a conversation with someone this past week, and, and, I, and I said to them, and I know this is going to be controversial, and I'm already ready for it. I said, if, if Donald Trump invited Jesus to dinner, what would he do? And many of us would have a hard time with the idea that someone who so many of us hate and despise, that Jesus may actually sit and break bread with. We're not talking about policy. We're talking about sitting and breaking bread because when Jesus sat with sinners and text collectors and those who were despised in his day, there were those who questioned it. In the words of Howard Thurman, I can imagine he said that when Jesus went to go to the house of a centurion soldier, a Roman soldier, Roman soldiers who could at whim beat and abuse Jews, who could rape Jewish women almost at will who mistreated and oppressed. And when the disciples, Thurman said, saw Jesus going to the house of a centurion soldier to heal a servant, Thurman said, in their mind, they must have thought Jesus was a sellout. 
How could you use the power of God on behalf of our enemies? The thing is, Jesus does not preach and then not execute. He doesn't preach and then not embody. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What good is it to love the lovable or greet those who greet you? This is what makes being a disciple difficult. And it is the very reason why Christians don't always become disciples. Because this life of discipleship, this committed life is difficult. It is hard. It is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. It goes against some of our deepest emotions. But he raises it. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. I don't want to stay there per se, but I want to look at part of verse 45. Because I could stay here all morning talking about the challenge of loving enemies and and loving the unlovable and praying for those who persecute. I know right now there's some of us who are watching and cringing at the thought of having to love enemies and pray for those who persecute and and loving even the unlovable. But don't forget when you stood with me this morning, declared those words of identity, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices. And at some point, you can't just declare words and not embody them. At some point, you can't just recite words and not live through them. But this morning, for this sermon, I want to zero in at a portion of verse 45. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. I remember as a child growing up in a Christian household, my grandmother saying these words, God is no respecter of persons. I didn't always understand what that meant. I didn't fully understand what she was saying. But as I grew older and grew deeper in the faith and took the teachings of Jesus seriously and started understanding God as Jesus reveals God, I understood what my grandmother meant. In some ways, she was speaking of this line in verse 45. The sun rises on the evil and on the good, and it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, or the just and the unjust. I know loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you may seem like the most challenging part of these words this morning, verses 43 through 48. I know. Even as I talked about Jesus loving enemies and gave ask a hypothetical question about what would Jesus do if Jesus was invited to sit and eat with someone we don't like, someone we despise. I know those questions are rattling, and this notion of being in the kingdom and loving enemies is challenging, but I want to suggest that it's that part of verse 45 that may be the most challenging part of Jesus' teachings. Hearing the carpenter say that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain to nourish for the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. This is at the heart 
of this passage for me. It speaks to how we create our perspective on how God ought to treat us. It is how many of us Christians organize our lives around myths about God. God only blesses good people. And God only punishes the bad. We live our lives in this organized construct. And there are those who in Christianity even prey on it and manipulate it. Whole systems are created that you'll be blessed if you're holy, punished if you're bad. And there are stories in the Old Testament in particular where this can be seen. But when you come to Matthew 5 and listen to the one who is supposed to be the primary manifestation of God, the primary revelation of God, that means what he says and what he teaches is what God wanted those people to hear and know then. And what the carpenter says disrupts our desire for a utopia based on good behavior. God lets the sun rise on those who are good and those who are evil. God sends rain for those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. And as we seek to organize our lives in these ways that are sometimes oversimplistic and are desired to make us feel comfortable, especially when we think we're holy. That somehow when we behave a certain way, we can guarantee God's favor. And when we don't behave a certain way, we guarantee God's punishment. Jesus robs us of that robs us of the opportunity, robs us of wanting to make life neatly packaged in ways so that we can make it manageable and have a measuring stick of who's in and who's out, who's good and who's bad, who's fit for the kingdom and who's not. And here, the carpenter makes it plain that the teachings that shape the kingdom disrupt your desire to make life easy and manageable. Because the sun rises on good and evil, nice and nasty. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And in that line, Jesus disrupts and interrupts and demythologizes our assumptions about life. All of those assumptions that we as believers, Christians, try to neatly package. Think about historically. We would say things like, when bad things happen, God is angry. And for those who thought that way, I never forget, I found myself explaining to so-called Christians during Hurricane Katrina when people were saying that God punished New Orleans because of the sin. That's a neat, simplistic way of trying to organize life. Or when some hurricane comes and people are killed and houses are destroyed, we first start talking about who sinned, 
who did wrong. Why? Because in our simplistic way of understanding life, for many of us, if bad things happen, it's because you're bad. And if good things happen, it's because you're good. But what happens when good things happen for people we think are bad and bad things happen for people we think are good? All of a sudden, our neat package is disrupted, turned upside down. You see, it is our timidity, our insecurity, and our fear that causes us to create these nice, neat packages. What we really have a hard time dealing with is not sinners or believers. We have a hard time dealing with life. With life. Yes, the sun rises on the just and the unjust. And yes, it rains on the unrighteous and the righteous. And yes, there are people who are good people who die, sometimes killed for no apparent reason. And yes, there are people's lives who are destroyed in hurricanes who are some of the nicest people. There are people in the midst of a pandemic who are amazing people who lost their lives to a disease. And all of a sudden, in an attempt to explain why these things happen, it disrupts our neat packages of what life looks like. Because at the end of the day, what is this called? Is it called the wrath of God? Is it called the favor of God? Is it called divine punishment? Is it called divine blessing? No, it's called life. It is life. And life is filled with contradictions and ambiguities. Life is filled with rough times and smooth times. It is filled with days that are heavy and days that are light. It is filled with sunshine and darkness. It is filled with things at times that assault our sensibilities and things at times that show us the amazing grace of God. That is life. And because we can't handle the mystery, the contradictions, the ambiguities. We create systems to make ourselves feel comfortable until the system is disrupted. And when is it disrupted? When the unexpected happens. When we're blindsided by grief or loss. When things don't work out, when sickness invades, when death hovers, when disaster strikes. We find ourselves groping and groaning. We start asking questions like, where was God? Or why didn't God stop this? Or why didn't God prevent this? The truth is, all these things that happen in life are part of life. You can't curse the storm but want the rain. You can't be angry. Because the sun shines on all of us. I know this is not easy to digest this morning, especially for those of us who have created these nice, simplistic, neat packages that always get assaulted when something unexpected, some tragedy happens. When we see things happen to people we love, we know they were good, and we sit there and wonder what happened, God. Me, at 14, when I found out that my grandfather was going to die from terminal cancer at 14 years old, in my youthfulness and in my ignorance, I remember looking in the mirror and talking to God and saying, God, why are you taking my grandfather? 
And that question sent me on a journey that took me far away from God because in the way it was explained to me, God was responsible for everything. God controls everything, every action that can happen in the world. And so why would God take such a good man? And at 14, I had a hard time understanding that. But then the carpenter hits us with two words this morning that hurt, grow up. This is life. And you don't become resilient in the face of life by living in myths and illusions. You become resilient by tapping in to your inner courage, your inner strength, your inner resolve that is God-given to face life. You grow resilient by facing life. I know, I know this is tough, but the reality is, is that time and time again, according to Megan Devine, she says, Time and again, we see rivers of unspoken pain and loss move through the world in small daily cruelties and in systems of oppression, exclusion and violence. Every day we see this. We hear of the worst of humanity, the brutality, the baseness, the mean spiritedness, the evil, the hate, the actions, the rape, the torture, the murder, the mayhem. Human created problems. We construct the life of difficulty at times. There are things we cannot control. We cannot control what nature does and what happens in nature. But don't try to find ways to explain the inexplicable. They're simply deepen the wounds of those who are hurting. And can you imagine when you tell people, and this is what happens when you're not prayed up, this is what happens to you when you're living in sin and not in the word. What did that six-year-old child do to deserve being molested and raped? Was she not in the word? Was he not prayed up enough? Do you hear the insanity of the way we as Christians speak to make sense of that which is difficult? It is, in a word, life. You think the rapist consulted God before their actions? You think the murderer talked to God before their actions? There are people in this world who commit heinous crimes and they're not God-ordained. They are making choices rooted in pain and evil. That's because life are filled with some cruel people, some hateful people. It's easy to identify when it's easy to identify. How do you become resilient in the face of life? You don't create fairy tales. You don't create illusions. You lean in to your inner courage, your inner strength. I read somewhere that life isn't easy and it is not meant to be easy. It's meant to be lived. Sometimes happy and other times rough, but every up and down, you learn lessons that make 
you strong. Every up and down in life that is part of living, you ought to learn and be strengthened. I know that at times those lessons can be painful and at other times those lessons can be joyous. But you learn to be strong and courageous. And when you tap in to your inner courage, your inner strength to face life every day, in the words of Maya Angelou, you realize that you will face many defeats in life. But she said, never let yourself be defeated. You will face hardships in life. Yes, it is part of this journey, but don't let, don't let those things define you. Rise above the storm. As one writer said, and when you rise above the storm, you'll find sunshine. I remember many years ago when I would fly back and forth from school and college from Georgia to New York. And I didn't fly all the time prior to that. And like many of us, when I was young, I think like most of us, me and turbulence didn't get along too well. When that plane would start to rock, I would get nervous. And one time we were in a time of turbulence. And I remember that as the turbulence got worse, it felt like the plane was dropping dropping and it would drop and come up and drop and come up and I would put my arms, hands on the armrest trying to secure myself, worried what would happen if the plane would just fall out the sky. I started thinking about dying and death and I would say, I don't want to die in a plane crash. And then while I was sitting there panicking in the midst of the turbulence, I looked to my left and sitting next to me was actually a pilot. How did I know he had on his uniform and he had four stripes? He was a captain. And what threw me is the captain was sitting there with his legs crossed reading a newspaper while I was gripping onto the armrest for dear life out of panic. Two people experiencing the same turbulence with two different attitudes. Me gripping for dear life. Him casually and nonchalantly reading the newspaper. I had to ask because I seemed and felt like I was strange. I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, why are you so calm in all this turbulence? He said, well, turbulence are pockets of air. He said, look at it like bumps in the road. He said, when you're driving your car and you run over a bump, you don't begin to think that your doom is close. You just keep on moving. Sometimes you try to avoid the bumps and sometimes you try to swerve, but sometimes when you go over bumps, you don't begin to necessarily panic. He said, for me as a pilot, turbulence, as difficult as it may be, is just like the bumps in the road. He said, and I realize that as long as we're still moving forward, that we'll arrive at our destination. 
Oh, my God. When I heard that, he helped open my eyes. And it was many years later when I became a pastor and preaching, I understood the captain. Life is filled with turbulence. There will be bumps in the road. But that's part of the journey. This past week, I was flying from Atlanta. And the captain said that the takeoff will be smooth, but then we'll encounter some bumps along our ascent. Oh, God. And, 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 and as we took off, it was smooth. And then the bumps started. And then the captain came back on in the midst of the bumpiness and said, bear with us. I'm seeking to find smooth air. Now, it was overcast when we were leaving. And as we were ascending, we were piercing through the clouds. In the midst of the bumpiness, the captain was trying to find smooth air and get through the clouds and the turbulence. And then all of a sudden we came through and the sun started shining. The ride was smooth. Yes. I landed the other day. And the one thing that held me captive was how beautiful it was above the clouds. Every now and again, when life becomes turbulent and difficult, don't try to create narratives to avoid the turbulence of life. Don't seek to simplify the journey. Just tell yourself that these bumps, this turbulence will not define my journey. That just above sometimes the cloudiness, there's still sunshine. We don't have to create fantasies to try to make ourselves feel better about the mystery. And if you want to be resilient in the face of life, you live and continue to tap in to the inner courage and inner strength that you have in order to do what? Face life. Stephanie Bennett Henry said something. She said, life is tough, darling, but so are you. Life is tough, beloved but so are you. It is filled with ups and downs, highs and lows, joy and sadness, grief and glory, pain and power, tragedy and triumph. That is life. But you have courage and strength to face forward and faith forward. It rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the evil and the good. Life is challenging and life is hard, but you were built for this and built for these moments. It does not negate the pain. It does not negate the agony. It does not negate the grief. It does not negate the loss. Just remember your strength.
And in the face of life's contradictions, remember how resilient you are. You've been through so much in your life, blindsided by brutality at times, caught off guard by pain, but you are resilient. No need to try to tap dance around life or create systems of understanding so that we can say, if that happened to you and it was bad, it's because you're bad. And if this good thing happened, it's because you're good. No, no need for that. At all moments, you show up strong, resilient, courageous, confident. You are resilient. And you are resilient in the face of life. Come on, let's pray. The God who grants peace in the midst of our chaos. God, we say thank you. For you, O oh God, who reminds us of our strength when we would want to run to our weakness, we say thank you. For the God who reminds us of our resilience when we would rather hide, we say thank you. For the God who reminds us that we are kingdom subjects when we'd rather be shaped by our insecurities. We say thank you, God. Thank you, God, for building us this way. Thank you, God, for making us of the very stuff that orchestrates sunrises. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There are times, oh God, where in our fear, we create systems of explanation because we're hesitant to just face life. But you built us for this. You made us to face life. And we will be resilient. Thank you, God, this morning for this reminder that we have been, we are, and we will be resilient in the face of life. We love you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute 
If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.